0: Turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verse 28 as we get started. Now, this is a very special time of year. Not just because OCA gets a two-week vacation, okay? And that's exciting. But not only that, because we get to spend time with family. And now this time of year is even more special because everybody everybody starts to look at the previous year or in the past and they start to self-evaluate right right we look back at the year 2023 and there was some crazy stuff going on in 2023 we have indictments going on, we have scandals in, in politics, we, we have uh, riots, we have illegal immigration, we have uh, what's going on in the Middle East, we have what's going on in Ukraine, we have rumors of wars and wars and all that stuff that's going on, and we're thinking to ourselves, what can we do this year that would be different? Because honestly, I don't want to go through another 2023, do you? I don't. Uh, so people examine themselves, okay, what can we do better? What can we improve in going into 2024. We also do that with ourselves as well, right? Everybody sees us on their phones, they see it on their TV, everything that we can do to improve and help ourselves. For instance, men, this is the time of year where we look back into our past and we say, you know what, what I did before was probably not the best idea. I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again this morning just because. I just feel like doing it. Three years ago, I got my first real Christmas tree. That's, you know, I, up to that point, really only had the, you know, the fake ones that look just beautiful, and you put plug it in and it lights up and it was, it was great, right? But my first real Christmas tree was just three years ago. Now what comes with that is sometimes there's possibility of birds or squirrels getting into that, but you have to water it as well and there's pine needles everywhere and, and you you got to make sure that you take care of it. It's like having a puppy at Christmas, but it's in, in your living room and there's ornaments and all that fun stuff. However, at the end right around this time of year, that tree starts to die, right? We all know that. Pine needles fall to the ground, it starts turning brown. And for those that enjoy going outside and burning things, this is a very exciting time of year for us, right? We know that. And so I talked to Betsy, and she was like, you know, I want that ugly thing out of my living room. And she was rightfully so for that. And so I'm saying, I'm going to take this tree, and I'm going to burn it. And she looks at me, and she says, Joe, you probably should cut it up. And I said, well, I don't know. Now, this is my first experience with real Christmas tree, okay? I don't know about all that. And she's like, yeah, you probably need to cut up. I said, ah, I don't know. Now, we always listen to our wives, don't we, gentlemen? Right? So my wife goes shopping, and I'm by myself, and that's usually when I get myself in trouble, and I I take this tree, and I take it outside to a burn pit, uh, if you will, and I just cram it down in there, and then I light it, and for those that enjoy fire or just seeing things, it was a glorious sight for about four seconds, and then fear set in, because it is now going from this little thing to engulf, and you you know, hear that sound, 20 feet in the air, and I start to realize I'm going to burn down this neighborhood, and so I run to the side of my house, I get the hose, I start spraying whatever I can, I start spraying leaves, I spray the sky, I don't know what it's going to catch on fire, but eventually I got it down, and (laughs) Oh, Betsy gets home and she said, Where's the Christmas tree? And then I had to tell her, you know, that's always the fun thing to tell your wife what you did wrong. Um, so I tell her what happened and she just gives you that wife look that all men have experienced, which you're like, mm, I told you so. You know, you've seen that look, men, right? So now I am glad to say it has been three years and I still have a tree. I have a tree right now and it's starting to brown and the needles are falling off and the water is starting to be gone. And so I have yet to take it outside and burn it, okay? I want to say that so far the neighborhood is safe. But why? We do a self-examination. I've learned probably shouldn't try to burn down the neighborhood. Well, the same thing is true for us, right? Everybody right now looks at ourselves and says, What can I do to improve? What can I do that's better? Okay, for instance, some people might say, This is the time of year I'm going to balance my checkbook. Alright, I'm going to get rid of that credit card debt, I'm going to do this, it's going to be a fantastic financial year for me, and so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to do that, to improve. Right, that's a great thing, that's a great thing to, uh, to strive for. Some people might say, you know what, I have not been eating healthy like I should. The people at McDonald's know my name, okay, that's a problem, right? And so maybe I should start eating healthy, well what that requires is that you have to plan. You have to budget the money for that. You have to make meal plans. Sometimes they even have this crazy thing where you buy a box and it just comes to your house and it's supposed to be healthy. I don't know how healthy it is, but it might be. How many of you guys have had that box before? Okay, great, fantastic. So yeah, eating healthy, great. Or some people say, you know what? I am tired of being in the shape of round, okay? And so I need to go to the gym. All right, I don't have that problem. I don't have to worry about that, but some people do, right? And so they decide to get a gym membership and that lasts for about two weeks. But what, what happens? They have to prepare. They have to strive to do something. They look at themselves and say, you know what? Something is wrong with me. I'm not where I need to be. I could be better, so let's do something better. Let's do something to change. The same thing is true for us Christians. We need to look at ourselves in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, what is it that is about me that I can change to be more like Christ. And that's the title of the message this morning. Like Christ More in 2024. Like Christ More in 2024. Let me ask you this question, and it's, it's a hard one, really, to just even ask. Because you have to even self-examine yourself. If God was to stand before you this morning, and we know he's here with us, but if he was going to stand before you, and if there was one thing, what is one thing in your life that he asks you to change? or do, or get rid of, to make you more like Christ? What is one thing that He asks you to change to be more like Him? Ephesians cha- I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, We know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for you. Lord, I am thankful for a time of new beginnings. Lord, I'm thankful that you, as our God, look at us. Knowing everything about us, knowing our inward parts, Lord, our our thoughts and our intents. Lord, everything that we could ever do, you know it, but Lord, you chose to love us anyways. And Lord, you desired not to leave us where we are, but you desire to change us and to change us into the image of your Son. So I pray as we dive into this message this morning, Lord, strengthen me, fill me with your Spirit. Give me the words to say this morning. Let me be an encouragement, and Lord, let this be an encouragement to others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Now, getting into this passage, I want to be clear on a few things. This is not talking about, listen, Calvinists say crazy things all the time. This is not talking about being uh, predestined to go to heaven or hell. That's not what this passage is talking about, okay? It's talking about the glorious purpose in which we have as Christians who have answered the call what we are predestined to be. We have a purpose to be conformed into the image of His Son. What a great great responsibility what a great privilege that we have to be like that but that being said going into our first truth that we see this morning i want us to understand that god has created us with the purpose of change god has created us with the purpose of change now how many of you guys have ever played the game risk raise your hand okay Good, good to know. All right, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's a great game. It's a board game. Um, I've, I've talked about this before. I may have talked about it here. I don't remember, really. But it's a board game where there's five continents, and you have little soldiers, and the, the means of the game is that you destroy everybody, and you conquer the world. What a fun game that is, right? Conquer the world. What, what more fun can a man have, right? So we do this game, and we play, I played with a few people in the room, uh, John Pound, Reuben, Matt, uh, Jet. Kyan, uh, where's Rusty at? Rusty, I played with him. Uh, Chris, I played with Chris. Well, there's some unspoken things that you have to do when you play this game. Number one is when we play this game together, the first thing that everybody has to do is, number one, destroy John Pound. I don't know why, but that is just always the goal. John Pound needs to be destroyed. Number two is that you have to make moves in order to play the long game, Right? Now, when somebody looks at this, now, Reuben is really bad at this, and I I love him. I'm going to say this. When I play with Reuben, I do not understand a single move that he makes, okay? (laughs) It's just sporadic. I look at him, and then he winks at me, and I just don't understand it, okay? But that's just the way he is. But sometimes you have to play these moves, and people don't understand them, where you have to give up some territory, territory for the purpose of playing the long game. Well, that's exactly as we look at this world right now. We're thinking, wow, what is going on. For a God that rules and reign, why is this happening? Why, why, why did God, why would God allow man to defy him the way he is? Why would God allow man to sin against him? Why would he even give us the option? But you got to understand the whole purpose of why he did what he did was that we could have communion with him and be conformed into the image of his sin, way back into the Garden of Eden. God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, with a holy moral purity. They had communion with Him. In fact, they walked with Him in the Garden of Eden. They had a perfect relationship with Him. But yet, they chose to rebel against Him. They had one rule, ladies and gentlemen. They had one thing that they couldn't do. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But yet, that wasn't enough for them. They had to have it all. They wanted to be like God. And so what did they do? They rebelled against the God that they had a relationship with. Wow! And because of their decision... We have waxed into wickedness, and the whole world groaneth, and there's corruption everywhere, and there's sin everywhere. And yet, even back then, in Genesis 3, chapter, uh, verse 15, God made a plan. He had a perfect plan that he would send a son, somebody born of a woman who would crush the head of the snake Fulfilling and saying, I'm going to send someone that will not leave you where you are. And so, even though Adam and Eve sinned, even though Israel sinned, even though everybody here sins, and even though He knows every single thing that is about us, He yet still chose to die for us. God Himself humbled Himself, He, he, He came in the form of man, and He lived a perfect and holy life. Why? He fulfilled the law so He could come to die for us that we might have a relationship with him again. He wants to have communion with us again. He wants to take us from where we were and take us to where we can be. See, God knew everything about us, but he did not leave us there. He did not leave Adam and Eve in the garden. He did not leave Abraham and Ur. He didn't leave the children of Israel in Egypt. He didn't leave Samson between the two pillars. He didn't leave David in his sin with Bathsheba. Instead, he gave them a way of escape, and he gives us a way of escape as well. He wants to change us. And that brings us to a second truth. We must be willing to change. We must be willing to be trans. Formed. Psalm 139, verse 23. Turn there with me if you would. Psalm 139, verse 23. The Bible says this. Well, Psalm 129, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in thy way everlasting. See, God, you have to search me. You have to know me. You need to know my thoughts and intents. And Lord, I want you to show me what's wrong with me and I want you to not lead me where I am, but instead lead me. Take me to the way everlasting. God, you are the one that's going to have to change me. See, this has come different than what some of us expect. You know, unfortunately, some of us come to the point where we just want to be comfortable. And sometimes we just have been a Christian for so long that we get, give excuses for why we do things the way we do. Or sometimes we just say, you know what, that's just the way I am. But I'm telling you to, this morning, we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to transform. See, modern Christianity doesn't understand this. They say, come as you are and leave as you were. But God never has said that. He says, come as you are and let me change you. Let me transform you. Let me make you into an image of myself. Is that not what we see countless times in the scripture? He says, put off the old man and put on the new man. Right? He says, even in the picture of baptism, he says, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Every picture that we see in the Old and New Testament is a picture of a transformed life. But sometimes, church, we get used to the mire and clay. We, we get used to the old ways. There, listen, there's pleasure in sin for a season, for a season. And we get, go back into those, those things just like a dog returns to its vomit. And we want to go back to the old ways or go to our old sin. But I'm telling you, we have to be willing to come out of that. That's exactly what repentance is. It's saying turning away from this and turning to God, which is all the wickedness over here and turning to what is righteous over here. We have to be willing to repent. You know what, we have to even repent as Christians sometimes, saying, God, I don't know how I let this come in my life, but I need you to help me, to change me, to transform me. Is that not what a beautiful picture is even of the the parable of the lost son? This, This son who had everything, he had a communion with his father, he had the riches. He had wealth. He had inheritance. But yet in his pride, he said, you know what? I, I want to leave that. And he takes his inheritance and he goes and lives a riotous life. He gets abandoned. He finds himself in, in, in quite literally mud where he is then alone. But finally, he comes to himself. is what the Bible says. He came to himself. He realized that even he, his dad's servants, live better than what he's living right now. And so what does this son do? He, he gets up out of the mire and the clay, out of the the filth that he's living in. And he goes back to his father. And when his father sees him afar off, he doesn't just turn his back on him. The Bible says he ran to him. And when he saw him, he put a ring upon him, put a robe upon him, and they killed the fatted calf. And that is a picture of what God wants to do with us. He doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want to leave us in our sin. He wants to put that robe of righteousness upon us. He wants to transform us, and he wants to use us. See, what is it about us, church, that we have to be willing to change? See, this is a very personal question. I can't name it for you. You can't name it for me. Is, is Is it pride? Is it selfishness? Is it a surrendered life to him? Is it forgiveness? Is it more mercy and love and compassion? Is it a better relationship with your spouse? Is it faithfulness to His Word? What, what is it that we can do or change to be more like the Son of God? See, some of us will say, well, Brother Joe, you, you don't understand. And I've heard this. People don't change. That's just not true. That, that's not true. There was in the Old Testament a lady named Rahab. She was a harlot. But yet when she came to face-to-face with the children of Israel in the faith of God... She left prostitution, and she then became one of the line, in the lineage of the Messiah. Even Peter was a foul-mouthed fisherman. And yet, when he came to face-to-face with Jesus Christ and the gospel, it transformed him, and he was used to bring the New Testament church to the Gentiles and also to the Jews. And then we have Saul, who was a murderer, dragging people out of their homes, families, women and children and fathers, and taking them to be murdered. He went from a murderer when he was face-to-face with the gospel to be a man of God who wrote most of our New Testament. Why? Because he understood. He understood that God could change him. Countless times in Scripture, from people who are in their teens all the way up to 90s, God can change you. God can use you. God can transform you. But the thing is, the difference between them and the difference between us today is they, they were willing. These these patriarchs, these these men and and, uh, giants of the faith, the difference between us and them is they were willing to be changed. Are we willing to be changed this morning? Are we willing to be transformed by God? And our third truth that we see is He is the only means of change. He is the only means of change. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You don't understand everything that these people have done that led to this is that they were willing to humble themselves like Christ humbled himself. I can't comprehend this. How God, in his majesty, in his righteousness, in his holiness, was willing to let his creation defy him, but yet he had such a love for us that he was willing to leave all that to humble himself, to die for us. What, what a love. What a compassion. What an amazing God that we serve. But that same humble spirit is what he asks of us in order for us to be changed. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. It makes sense to, for us. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. See, the difference is we are not supposed to be in that mire and clay as Christians. We are not supposed to treat the gospel as a get-out-of-jail-free card or a free ticket to heaven. Instead, it's supposed to change us. It's supposed to transform us away from the things of this world into the image of an uncorruptible, holy and righteous God. But the thing is, the only way for us to truly be transformed is for us to know Him. How can we not be transformed if we don't know Him? Every single account in Scripture, the people that were changed and transformed is because they got to know God. God spoke to them. God used them. He moved them. And they were willing to follow Him. So let me ask you this morning, when was the last time you you spoke to God? I'm not talking about just praying over your food, maybe in five minutes here or there. When have you last really spoken to God? The psalmist, David, countless times in Scripture, when he was out in the fields or whether he was in a cave, he had that personal relationship with the Lord where whether he was happy and singing praises or whether he was sad and anxious Whether he was fearful or whether he was just proud, he was praying and pouring out his heart before God. Why? Because he realized no matter the situation I'm in, I need to go to him. He is the only one for me because to David, God was his all in all. When was the last time we spoke to God like that? When was the last time when we were just joyous? I can't wait to get on my knees and thank the Lord for what he's done here. Oh man, Lord, I'm scared. I'm nervous about what's going on with these wars and these rumors of wars. When was the last time we just got down on our knees and said, God, will you help this nation? Will you help us? Will you help this church? Will you help our pastor? When was the last time we got down on our knees for that? Not only that, but when was the last time we opened up this word of God and we just studied it? I'm not talking about just reading a chapter here and there. I'm, I'm talking about pouring into it. Trying to learn about him. You see, when I was dating Betsy, I I, I wanted to know everything about that woman right there. I wanted to know her favorite color. I wanted to know what made her tick. I wanted to know what kind of flowers and what kind of chicken she doesn't like. I wanted to know all those things. Why? Because I was pursuing her. And now I know more about her than I know about anybody else in this room. And that's the same desire that we need to have for our Savior that we are pursuing. I want to know what makes the heart of God tick. I want to know the same love that he has for them that I can have. I want to know his desires for me. And the only way that we're going to know that is by being in the word of God. You know what's so strange? We have to keep over and over and over again talking about the importance of just being in the word of God. How many sermons have we heard about? Read your Bible. Pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. I... I remember getting on the ground as a little kid and singing that song, and you know, you remember growing, right? And then forget your Bible, forget to pray, and you do what? Shrink, 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 and you have the sad face. And then you have to grow again. We remember that, right? But countless times we hear sermons about we need to get back in this book, but guess what we're not doing? We're not getting back in the book. We have to desire, we have to have that relationship with God because when we have that understanding, when we hear his heartbeat, as we open up the word of God, we open up the mind of God. We understand his thoughts and intents towards us and through reading his word and crying, we have a supernatural change in ability that we can know God and know what he desires for us. But that requires for us to make a decision. It requires for us to say this mire and clay, this thing that's in my life that I need to get rid of, Lord, would you search me? Would you know my heart? Would you show me if there's something that's keeping me from being more like you? And Lord, will you help me to know you as you desire for me to know you? It's a simple, simple, simple decision this morning. But the question is, will you do it? pastor has laid before us this morning... A, a schedule for us to be able to read through the Bible in a year. What a great start for us to be able to get in the routine of being in God's Word. I, I'm telling you, if you have not done it, pastor's done it over 50 times. If you've not done it, make that decision this morning. Hey, I need to get some things right. I need to get in God's Word. I need Him to show me. I need to know Him more. That's a great way to do that. And so in a few minutes, as we're about to close this message, would you not make that decision? Would you not make a decision? You know what? I'm, I, I've derailed, brother Joe. I've been not speaking to God the way I should be. I haven't been in His Word the way I should be. I have something in my life that is keeping me from being more like Him. This is the opportunity that you have this morning to get right with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around.